I'm glad we serve that God this morning. Let's all stand. The book of Acts chapter number 1. Thank you, Brother Paul, for minding the Lord. Acts chapter number 1 this morning. And uh, I wanted to preach a couple different thoughts this morning. I wanted to preach a message to the lost. And I wanted to preach on the resurrection. And uh, partly we'll do both in this message today. But I really feel like this is the message God has laid upon our heart, especially coming out of the meeting that we've come out of. And then I think it fits the occasion this morning as well. So Acts chapter number 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which He was taken up after He through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom also He showed Himself alive after His passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking with things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For, truly, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the, or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's bow for prayer. Then you can be seated. Father, thank you, Lord, once again for the great meeting this week and your presence. And Lord, we thank you for this morning, the good testimonies of your people. I pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word. I ask you, Lord, if you would, to give us liberty this morning to say what you have placed upon our hearts and help us to be obedient in all things. I ask you, God, if you would, to uh, deal with the heart of every listener, every hearer this morning. God, help us to receive with meekness the engrafted word. I know that today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and we're so thankful that, you, that Jesus Christ is alive and well. But help us this morning. God, may this not just be a ceremony. May it not just be a ritual this morning. But God, may it be, be a real truth in the heart of every individual this morning. Most of all, if there's one that is dead in their trespasses and sins, I pray that today, Lord, they would be their day of salvation, that they would come to know Christ in the free pardon of sin. God, I pray now that you'll be pleased with our worship. And Lord, may we see no man save Jesus only. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach a few minutes this morning out of verse number 8. On this subject, on our mission is still the Great Commission. Our mission is still the Great Commission. And I think leading up to this verse, it deals both with uh, that of the concerning the lost and the resurrection within itself. In verse number 1, I want you to see the recorders. The Bible says, The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis. And as we think about the recorder being that of Luke, that the former treaties was, uh, the word treaties is the same word here that we read for letter or book and, or ex of explanation. And so we know that Luke wrote a gospel and that Luke is writing now the book of Acts and he records the, the life of Christ in, verse, or in the gospel of Luke. But now uh, he is going to talk about the church and he's going to expound uh, Peter and the apostle Paul and the Jews and the Gentiles and how that God is bringing them together 
together in the power of the gospel and the sovereignty of God and also our Savior and His work not just here on earth but what His work in heaven will accomplish through the lives of believers. And so uh, there is this recorder and then there's the recipient uh, the Bible talks about here at Theopolis as he uh, speaks to him and he gives him this word of exhortation and what an exhortation it is. But in verse 2 and 3 there's the reason that Luke is writing this and one of the reasons that he is writing this is because of the many infallible proofs of the resurrection. Amen. And I'm glad that we not only serve a God that is alive, but I'm glad that we can prove the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Luke does a wonderful job in doing that. In fact, in just the first three verses alone, he gives us many infallible proofs. Now, I'm not going to preach them this morning, uh, but I will mention them. I want to say, first of all, one of the infallible proofs is the scriptures itself. Amen. Uh, Because not just in these three verses here does it declare that Jesus Christ is alive, but all throughout the the, the word of God, we have pictures and types and principles and and prophetic uh, uh, prophecies that that speaks of the life of Christ that he would come and that he would rise again. And the apostle Paul preached about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible within itself, the very canon of scriptures tell us that we have an infallible proof that Jesus Christ uh, is alive. Amen. And then not just the scriptures, but in verse number one, in verse number three, there is the saints, amen, as Luke himself in verse number one. And then in verse number three, the Bible talks about that he showed himself alive to those saints. And Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 when he said that Jesus was seen of of Cephas and then of the 12 and above 500 brethren at once. And so the saints of God uh, witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were people that was walking the earth in that day that could witness and testify that they saw Jesus after his death on the cross. Amen. And brother, there's no more powerful of a testimony uh, than the witness within itself. And so there are saints. And I want to stop and say this, that the saints of God today, we still witness the resurrection of Christ. Amen. We may not have seen him with a physical eye, but with a spiritual eye. He lives within our hearts. Amen. Like the songwriter said, you asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. And so the scriptures prove this and the saints prove this. And then in verse number two, the spirit proves it as he said that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Amen. And so the spirit testifies that Jesus Christ is alive and well. Amen. If the Bible said any man have not the spirit, then he does not have Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? And so if you're saved this morning, uh, then the Spirit lives within you and you know that the Spirit testifies uh, uh, that Jesus is alive. Amen. And so the Spirit testifies this. And then the Savior himself uh, uh, testifies this in verse number three as the Bible said that he uh, uh, showed himself alive. Amen. Now how much more of an infallible proof could we find than that uh, Brother Lamar, than Jesus himself walking this earth uh, uh, witnessing before men uh, uh, that he is not dead but that he is alive. Amen. And so the Savior is an infallible proof of that. And then we see also that the sermons, as the Bible said in verse number three, uh, that he 
he spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Amen. You see, when Jesus got up and came out of the grave, he spent 40 days here on this earth and he was still preaching. Amen. He was still talking about the kingdom of God. I'm glad I serve a Savior that's still preaching. Amen. He's still preaching through men today. Men take that book and they preach the Bible. You know what we preach? We preach Christ crucified. We preach him risen and coming again. Amen. And thank God the sermons that he preached after the resurrection proved that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. But notice with me in verse number four, there's a command that is given. As the Bible says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them they that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Now the command was that they were to remain in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. But notice the confusion in verse number six as the Bible said that they said therefore when they were therefore come together they asked of him saying Lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. They wanted to know if Jesus when he came back if he was going to restore the kingdom. And that's interesting this morning because even after the resurrection those Jews, those apostles, you know what? They were still looking for Christ to set up a kingdom here on earth. But I'm glad in the next verse Jesus clarifies that by speaking to them and tells them is it not for you, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So Jesus tells them, he says listen I want you to understand uh, you don't need to focus on that kingdom. He said it's not for you to know that my Father will do that in his own time and his own season. Amen. Because Jesus wanted to them uh, to get their focus off the kingdom and get their focus on the gospel. Amen. And friend, that's the commission in verse number eight. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the resurrection is? Uh, it is a part of the gospel message. Amen. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Can I get an amen right there? And what Jesus wants them to see this morning is that they have a job to do. And in order for them to fulfill this job, it's going to take three things. In verse number four, it's going to take unity. Amen. Notice the Bible says, and being assembled together. You know why we come together? Because togetherness brings unity. Amen. And when we come together, guess what? We come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? We come together in that name of that living, that risen Savior this morning and so he wanted them if they were going to accomplish this job he wanted them to see it was going to take unity and then he wanted them to see it was going to take unction notice what he said he wanted them in verse number 4 to wait for the promise of the father he said for John in verse 5 truly baptized with, with water but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from thence uh, he wanted them to understand that if you're going to carry out the great commission it's going to take unity and it's going to take unction friend it's going to take a power beyond yourself to do the task and the job that is laid out before you amen and then he wanted them to have understanding as I said before he wanted them to get their focus off the kingdom of God and he wanted them to get their focus on the gospel amen can I tell you something about Jesus uh, he's not into kingdom building down here right now amen he's into gospel preaching uh, and winning sinners uh, who are lost and dying and going to hell. 
And so when we come to verse number eight, the gospels have come to a close now and the church is about to step on the scene. And the mission in verse number eight and the mission in chapter one is the great commission. And I want to preach for a few minutes this morning on that subject. On our mission is still the great commission. Because I think a lot of churches today, and if you and I are not careful, we can become that same way very quickly. We can get our focus on what, off of what the real goal in mind is and what we're supposed to be doing, and we can get our focus on other things. If we're not careful, we'll get our focus on life itself down here, and we'll forget about that we're just passing through this world. We'll get our focus on family and jobs and, and a home and a house and children. All those things are wonderful in their self, but they're all temporal down here. They're just here for a little while. God didn't save you and leave you, and he didn't save me and leave me here so I could just have a good life and so I could just make, have a job and so I could have a nice house and a little spot of ground down here and just have a few toys and trinkets of this world. That's not what God's greater plan and scheme was. God saved us and he left us here and he gave us a life to live on earth because he has a supreme goal in mind and that is that we might point sinners to the foot of the cross and rescue the perishing, amen? But too many individuals have got wrapped up in this life and got their focus and their mission is no longer the great commission. Their mission is no longer pointing people to Jesus Christ. Our churches are filled with people today that have lost sight of the goal and they're enjoying life and not enjoying the giver of life life today. You see, if you're really saved this morning, then one of the marks of a saved person is that you'll want to tell other people about Jesus Christ. I remember a man that I tried to get to tell me one time we was talking, it was near death's door. And I asked this man, I said, are you saved? He said, oh, I'm saved. Very sharply. He said, but I don't want to talk about it. And I said to him, I said, well, sir, I said, would you tell me about when you got saved? He said, no. He said, I think that's personal and it should never be spoken about. I said, well, that's not what that book says. This man's facing death. And I told him, I said, sir, with all due respect, I said, everybody in the Bible that got saved could not keep it quiet. They wanted to tell other people about what Jesus had done for them. I could not convince that man. And as far as I know, he died without Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, but you that are here this morning, don't let that happen to you. Don't you let the devil slip you a counterfeit through some false profession of faith or some church membership or water baptism or paying tithes uh, or trying to be a good person in life. Don't you let the devil convince you, hey, just saying it so doesn't make it so. Amen? If there's not marks in your life that you've truly been saved, then friend, you need to do some serious checking up about whether or not you've ever been born again. Another good mark that you may not be saved is if you get real nervous when the preacher starts preaching about it. Somebody say amen. Amen. There ought to be a peace. There ought to be a calmness if you're truly born again. When I was lost, when people started talking about getting saved, I got real nervous. When people started talking about being born again, a profession will not give you peace, friend. 
you got to have the, liver, the giver of life living on the inside of you. And what, listen, our mission, our goal this morning, we've had this great meeting and thank God for that. But as I mentioned in this meeting, whenever Peter, James, and John was on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah and all their glory and they saw the, the Father speak out of heaven and say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. They stood in all that glory. They saw all that greatness as we have this week. But when they come down off the mountain, guess what? There was a man standing there whose son had tried to commit suicide and he needed Jesus Christ. And the purpose of being on the mountain with Jesus and the purpose of getting in the glory is so that you and I might come down to where sinners are and be able to help them because our mission today as a church, it's still the Great Commission. Amen. You see, the church is not a business. Somebody say amen. We're not a loan company. Amen. We're not in the business of having stocks and bonds and, and all kinds of, of money laid up. This is not a profession. This is not a job to me this morning. This is not a way of life, of living this morning. But you and I have a goal that far precedes, precedes, should I say, the physical and the financial, my friend, the material things of this world. Our goal is spiritual. It's beyond this world. It's delivering and help delivering the souls of men that need Jesus Christ this morning our mission is still the great commission there's no plan there's no program there's no promotion that will ever go on this church there's no meeting there's no revival nor even a jubilee that's more important than winning souls whenever a church becomes about social gatherings and social events they, the lights may still be on they may still have a preacher they may have a big bank account and they may have a good sized congregation but you hear me and hear me well. As far as God is concerned, there is an out-of-service sign in the front, on the front door, an out-of-business sign, should I say, in the parking lot. They can sing the same songs and they can still preach the sermons and everybody can dress up and go to church week in and week out, but there'll be no presence of God once it goes beyond winning souls. Amen. God is interested in the souls of men. Our mission is still the Great Commission. And notice in verse number eight this morning that he gives us five things concerning this truth here. First of all, we see a people. Amen. When it comes to the Great Commission, it involves a people. But he said, but ye shall receive power. Amen. But when you think about all the different avenues, uh, the tools that God could have used to get the gospel out, instead of using angels, he chose to use men. Instead of just using his son, he chose to use men. He could have proclaimed it any way that he wanted to. He could have let the rocks cry out consistently that Jesus saves, uh, but yet he chose to use sinful men to rescue sinful men this morning. You think about this morning. How many of you are saved? Raise your hand. If you're saved this morning and you know that, then you're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning we represent another country. We represent another king this morning. And we ought to do everything we can. You say, preacher, how can I as an individual, as a person, preach the gospel? You can do it with your tithes. Somebody say amen. Your mission giving. Hey, now don't get quiet because I'm preaching on money because it takes money to propagate the gospel. 
You're not buying me a suit. You're not buying me a, a car. You're not buying me a big house. Uh, you're not doing things like that. I'm not getting wealthy on the gospel. Somebody say, man, uh, uh, that's not my motive. I don't want your nickels and your dimes or your dollars this morning, but God does. Say, man, you say, well, preacher, God doesn't need my money. No, we know that God don't need our money, but in a blessing that God chooses to use our money, that he allows us to have a personal investment so that we can stand at the judgment seat of Christ uh, and say that we had a part financially in bringing souls to the foot of the cross. Uh, hey, we're not taking God's money and building lakes and building, uh, uh, we're not building theme parks uh, and we're not wasting money on things that do not count uh, but we're printing gospel tracts. Uh, we're sending out missionaries. Uh, uh, we're sending preachers to preach the gospel. We're helping men of God as they pass through that they might go somewhere else. Uh, uh, that's what the tithe does. Uh, it keeps the lights on. Uh, it keeps the bills paid. It keeps the message going forth so that sinners, when they pass by this road, they've got a place to come to. They've got a place they can hear the gospel. And you can be, listen, you can fulfill the great commission with your tithe. Amen. Secondly, you can fill it with your time by going. You know, if you win a soul, it takes time. Some, it takes longer than it does others. But oh, to stand at the judgment seat and see somebody miss the flames of hell because you took the time. You know, people don't have a lot of time for anything anymore. I mean, they've got cell phones, they've got iPads, computers, faster cars, faster uh, trains, faster planes, uh, everything. You know what everything's created around? It's invented to make, to, to speed up, to give people more time but yet people don't have more time. People don't even know who their neighbors are anymore. People don't take time to say thank you. When you open, I opened a door for a lady the other day, she just looked at me. I didn't say nothing. I thought, well, you know, but isn't that the way it is? And everybody's in a hurry. If you don't believe that, stop at a red light, let it turn green and count to three. Amen. Brother, people start horn cussing you in a second. Amen. Everybody's in a hurry. It's a rat race everywhere you go. Everybody's got more on their plate than what they're supposed to. Everybody's schedule is full. People don't have time for church. They don't have time for God. But they got time for golf. They got time for hunting. They got time for fishing. Now it's ball season. They got time for ball season. Isn't that right? You know what it is? Everybody's got time for everything else. They make time for the things that are important. And if winning a soul is important, then you and I must make the time. Amen? We must stop to hand out a track. We must stop to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. We must stop to live a godly life and be a good example in front of other people so that they can see Jesus in us this morning. It takes time. It takes tracks to win souls. I know it's not a shouted out message but it's needed this morning. Brother, it takes tracks uh, to win souls this morning. You know what tracks will do? They'll go places you and I can't go. A track will track you down. Isn't that right, Brother George? You're sitting in church this morning as a result of a track that was put on your door. I'm telling you, listen, we're about to start visitation, door-to-door -door visitation, knocking on doors, passing out tracks. You say, Preacher, I, I can't do not much. You can pass out a track. Surely, if Jesus saved your soul from hell, you can pass out a track. 
You can put one in the gas pumps, amen. You can put one down the beer aisle, stick it in all the 12 packs and the 24 packs of beer, amen. Uh, listen, you can pass them out. Now, don't put them on car windows at big lots because they've been calling me for the last few weeks, amen, upset about it. Uh, uh, but go pass them out everywhere else you can, amen. Uh, give them to anybody you can. Uh, everybody could use a track, isn't that right? Uh, when you go through the drive-thru, it doesn't cost anything to say, hey, you gave me something. Can I give you something? All they can say is no, isn't that right? Uh, don't let a little bit of rejection uh, keep you from trying to win somebody's soul from a devil's hell. I'd rather face rejection here as to face shame at the judgment seat of Christ uh, because I didn't do anything to tell anybody about Jesus. Uh, and if you're truly saved this morning, then they ought to be a desire. The great commission, my friend, it takes a person to do that. That's individual in that verse. Look at it. But ye, that's individual to all of us. Secondly, note this morning it takes power. But ye shall receive power. I want to say this morning that's no ordinary power. That's supernatural power. That's spiritual power. That's sovereign power. That's power beyond the physical realm. I can't win a soul within myself. I have no power, no ability to win nobody. If somebody came to me, I remember one time leading a man to Christ and he didn't know better. It was just terminology. But when he got up, he, he thanked me. He said, I want to thank you for saving me. And very quickly, I reminded him. I said, sir, I said, I didn't save you. I can't save nobody. And I believe he truly got saved. He just didn't know. I said, who saved you? I said, it wasn't me. He looked at me for just a minute. He didn't even know John three sixteen. You know what he said? Just instantly, he said, Jesus saved me. I said, that's right. You know who told him that? The Holy Spirit that lived inside of him. Uh, friend, I can't save a soul. That power is beyond me. And that power is beyond you. We can bring them to the foot of the cross. Uh, but it takes the blood to save them, amen. It takes the Spirit to secure them. Uh, oh, but I'm telling you, uh, if we'll go get them, amen, uh, he'll rescue them, amen. If we'll go after them, if we'll plead with them, if we'll beg them, if we'll let a tear fall from our eye and them see a compassionate heart, then my friend, we can win their soul. Amen. But it takes power this morning. Have you prayed for power? You see, I think much of our witnessing is non-effective because we forget to season it with prayer. There's no power outside of prayer this morning. These services need to be prayed for. Can I get an Amen. The sins of people can many times lock down a service, Brother Allen, but if we pray together, we can pray the power of God in. The choir sounds wonderful, but the choir doesn't need to sound wonderful on Sunday. I want the choir to hit every note, but hear me well. I want us to practice and do our best, and we ought to always. But I don't want the choir to do wonderful. I don't want the choir to sound good. I want the choir to have power. Can somebody say amen to that? I don't want the sermon to look pretty. I don't want it just to be in context and have an outline. I want it to have power. I want it to have something that goes beyond the conscience. My friend, that gets down to the heart, that irritates the flesh, that confronts the spirit, that captivates the soul that draws us to an altar. Oh, we need power, power, power. There is no power within ourselves. Machine and money and ministry will not do. We must steal away somewhere and meet with God. It's the most important thing you and I can do. No ministry, no church, no preacher, no Sunday school teacher can operate 
without the power of God. You know, you'll be a lazy teacher if you don't, get, if you don't have a prayer life. And if you study all the time and you don't pray, you'll be a prideful teacher or a prideful preacher. Because you know what truth does? After a while, you know what truth becomes knowledge, is, is knowledge. And the Bible said knowledge puffeth up. You see, if you just study all the time and read all the time, you'll find great truths in the Word of God. You'll learn a lot of things. But Brother Tim, what will happen is you'll come to the podium thinking, I've got something good to say. That's a disaster for any preacher or any teacher. But after you've studied that truth and you've seasoned it in prayer, you've prayed before the message or the lesson, you've prayed during it. There's been times I've studied and God would show me something. And I would have to stop studying and get on my knees and pray. Sometimes confession and say, God, before I go any further, I want to get this right. Thank you for the truth. Sometimes I would stop and pray for wisdom. God, I don't understand. Show me what I need to see. Sometimes with just gratitude, Lord, thank you for what you've let my eyes see this morning. But it takes prayer. And then before you go to that podium prayer, it brings humility because the greatest fear of any preacher or teacher should be this, is that God would abandon us in this place. And that the message would be nothing but dead orthodoxy that would fall on ears that would make no difference in the lives of those that are listening this morning. I don't know if God's helping you or not this morning, but I prayed that He would. I don't know if God's doing anything for some of you this morning, but I pray that He would. I pray that you that are here this morning that are lost, and surely there's many, I pray that the Holy Ghost would convict your soul and that the scales would fall off and that religion would fade away and you would see your need for Christ this morning. We need power this morning. A church cannot function without power. It ought to scare every one of us to death that every time we have one service that we don't sense the Spirit of God. We ought to not walk away satisfied. We ought to walk away disturbed and we ought to send us to our prayer closet and say, Dear God, help us to never assemble again and go through the mechanics of worship. I'm telling you, I don't want to have a big church. I don't want to have a rich church. I don't even want to have a talented church. I want to have a powerful church, don't you? Where the Spirit of God works, where souls are saved. It means more than anything, but we need power this morning. I'll not finish this sermon, but I want to mention another one today. I see not only a people and a power, but I see a person. That person is none other than the Holy Ghost. Don't let the charismatic people or movement run you off from using the phrase Holy Ghost. I had a man, and I heard him preach it one time. He said, I no longer, he was talking about not using that phrase because of the charismatic, didn't want to be identified with them. I want to be identified with the Bible, amen. And God wrote it down and started using that phrase long before that crowd. And I believe there's some good saved people in that, but we're not them, somebody say amen. We're Baptists. That wasn't strong enough. Are you a Baptist? Say amen. From the top of my head to the sole of my feet, I'm a Baptist. Amen. I believe that with all of my heart. You say, what would you be if you wasn't a Baptist? I'd be ashamed. Amen. Might go to heaven, but I wouldn't go first class. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, friend, I thank God for the Baptist church. 
And the Baptist didn't get me before Jesus did, but I'm glad I'm a Baptist this morning. But what I'm simply saying is this, is that it takes the Holy Ghost. He's the person. Now the Holy Spirit, you know what he'll do? He'll always speak of Jesus and not himself. Isn't that right? He doesn't glorify himself. I get nervous around that crowd that always wants to lift up the Holy Ghost. Uh, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. The Holy Spirit never spoke about himself, but he spoke about Jesus Christ. Amen? And you and I, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what we need to be, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the person that can do the work through us that we cannot do. You know, the quickest way to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the, with the Scriptures. Because when we're filled with the Scriptures, it brings surrender and separation in our life. And it helps us to live, to, not to live, but to walk in the Spirit. If we're saved, then we can, we can live. The Spirit dwells within us. But if we're surrendered and we're filled with the Scriptures, we can walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Amen. As the Bible said. And so there's that person. And then there's the purpose. What is the purpose of the Great Commission? Notice that ye shall be witnesses unto me. I'm going to stop and say this this morning. Every one of us, we're a witness about something or someone. Everybody has a witness this morning. When I say the name Adolf Hitler, he has a witness. When I say Saddam Hussein, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, oh, I know none of those men are saved. But there's a witness that comes to your mind just by the mention of their name. And we could talk about many, many people. When we name their names, automatically a witness of who they are and what they represent comes to, our, comes to our mind. And we don't even have to mention it this morning. We're all like-minded to that. Here's the question the Holy Spirit asked me the other morning I read that text. What kind of a witness do people think of when your name comes up? You see, I don't want to be known, and I'm not against it. You men know that. I don't want to be known as a great hunter or a great fisherman. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. That's not the witness that I want people to think of me. I don't want people to think, man, now he's a great sports fanatic. That's not the witness I want. I don't want people to think, oh, he's a tremendous preacher, and I don't believe that, but I don't, I don't, I don't want that witness. You say, well, what preacher do you want people? I want them to see no man save Jesus only. Brother, I'm telling you, the greatest thing that can ever be said about any of us this morning is that the world would look at us and say, now I want to tell you something. They are a Christian. I believe they're a Christian. And how many people do we know today that say they're Christians, but they never witness to nobody? The way they live their lives. I, I saw a bumper sticker one day, that, and, and I think I mentioned this somewhere. It may have been here a few weeks ago. I was going down the road and I saw a bumper sticker and I try not to read bumper stickers because of the vulgarity and things that are on them uh, but for some reason this one caught my attention and it didn't start off Brother Danny that way but when I read it I was so grieved by what I read it was so it was so vulgar and terrible that I mean I just I said Lord forgive me for even seeing that and wasn't seeking that and then I looked on the other side of that bumper just as my eyes crossed over and there was a cross on the other side of that bumper and I thought what a disgrace that is to have those 
those two stickers on that same bumper. Hey, listen, the world is so warped when it comes to what people call Christianity, but testimony is important this morning. Hey, if you're saved and the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, it does make a difference how we live our life, amen? And you can talk the talk, but if you don't walk the wall, if your life doesn't back up the things that you're saying, I wanna tell you, friend, you're fooling nobody but yourself this morning. The world has absolutely no confidence in that today, nor does any real Christian. You say, Brother Gravely, do you think you're perfect? No, far be from it. I'm sinful. Not a day in my life goes by. I don't have to ask God to forgive me of my sins. There's not a moment that some sin doesn't dwell within us. Because the Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But the Bible teaches us we can be blameless this morning. And every child of God, we ought to live our life in a way that when the world looks at us, we ought to live above a reproach. What that means is if I'm going to do anything that's going to bring a reproach on my Savior or my church or my testimony, then God said don't do that. It might even be lawful. It might not even be sinful. It might even be love, but it's not expedient. If the world can look at you and say, well, I, I, thought, you was a, I thought you was a better Christian than that. I thought, man, I, I mean, here you, I mean, you say, well, preacher, what do you do if you mess up? You get it right, amen? Don't go to work and fly off the handle and get mad and then tell people you go to church and you're a Christian. Somebody say amen. I know it's two minutes till 12, but I want to preach a few more minutes this morning. I'm telling you this morning, don't you go to work with an old sorry, low-down attitude and, and on Monday after going to church on Sunday. You go in there talking about Jesus. You go in there talking about how good God is. Amen? Uh, you say, well, uh, preacher, I have a bad day. A lot of people, listen, are looking at your life and, and they need to see you on your bad day, on your worst day. They need to see you still smiling and still singing the songs of Zion. Uh, uh, listen, you, you can't afford to, to lose your temper. And if you do, then you've got to go back to sinners and say, I'm sorry. God has convicted me and I was wrong and I've asked God to forgive me and now I want to ask you to forgive me. Now that's foreign to a lot of people today. But it wasn't 35 years ago. Brother, I'm telling you, naming the name of Christ ought to mean something to every one of us this morning. And then I want to say this, the Great Commission involves a place. Notice what he said there. He talked about Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem is our home. It represents the home. All of Judea represents the nation. That was all of their nation. Samaria represents those extreme places that are filled with both false and true. And when you think about there are places that we witness where we have to deal with false religion and false occults and those things. And I want to stop and say this. Catholicism is not a denomination. It is, it is a, an occult this morning. Somebody say amen. And I pray for Catholics to be saved. Listen, Muslims are not a denomination. There are saved people in the Presbyterian. There are saved people in the Methodist. There are saved people in the Church of God. Amen? But anything that adds or takes away from the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, the Bible said don't even bid on God's speed. Amen? 
I'm telling you, don't even shake their hand and tell them to have a good day is what the Bible says in that book there, amen? Because the Word of God says they're enemies of the cross and, and we're not to pray bad things. We're to pray for their soul to be saved, but we're to give them the truth of the gospel, amen? And then the uttermost parts of the earth that represents world evangelism, that's places you and I could never go. That's people that we'll never see, but we can send the missionary. We can send the money. We can send them overseas, amen? You say, preacher, why would I want to do that? Because our mission is still the Great Commission. Brother Jesus, one of these disciples, to not lose their focus and get their eyes on a kingdom down here. He wanted them to get their eyes on the job, that was the task that was before them, and that's the gospel. And can I say this this morning? Don't, don't miss this. If you and I are not careful, we can get our eyes on kingdom building down here. We need to keep our eyes on the gospel. I'm so thankful for what God did this week in this meeting. But I think the tragedy of this past week would be this. is for us that are saved to go back to our normal lifestyle, to fall back in the same old rut, and to forget why God let us get it on the glory. To forget the blessing of what God let us enjoy this week. All the preaching, 31 sermons. Now to a lost person... That would scare them to death. I guarantee you if you're lost this morning, to think that you'd have to sit through 31 sermons would just about, you would say, oh man, that's the most boringest week of my life. But not to us that are saved. You know what? If I could do it all over again, I'd listen to 31 more. Starting right now. You know why? Because the Word of God, if you're saved, you love the Bible. You love preaching. You love the people of God. You love to be around this. If every day could be a jubilee, Brother George, I'd do that, wouldn't you? One day it will be. One day it will be. But until then, we got to go after souls. we got to knock on every door in every surrounding area that we can. we got to go to every jail, every mission, every nursing home. I don't care how many times we've been there. We've got to keep going back. We've got to pass out every track. I don't care if they don't like it. We've got to keep on doing it. We've got to go to our families and our friends. Today is Easter. Some of you are going to go home and maybe you're going to have a cookout. I know you're going to be back at church tonight because that's what Christians do. But if you're going to go cook out with them this afternoon, you have a golden opportunity to tell them what this day really is about. It's about Jesus. To this morning as we stand, this, prop, this proposition is twofold. Number one, to us that are saved, Lord, give me a burden. Give me a greater burden. God, give me a vision. Lord, give me a greater vision. Don't let me get stale. Don't let me get used to what I'm doing. Don't let it become mechanical. Let it be real to me, more real to me today than it's ever been. Because time is near. Jesus is coming. More souls are dying. Oh God, help me to feel the urgency of the hour to do more than I've ever done. To help me to give more. Help me to pray more. Help me to go after them. And to you this morning that are lost, now's the time. You must come now and be saved this morning. I wonder if there's somebody, while Christians are praying, folks are in this altar, I wonder if there's somebody here to say, Preacher, I'll be honest with you, I'm not saved. 
And if I died this morning, I wouldn't go to heaven. I know that. God showed me that. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that this morning? Would you be honest about your own soul? That you care enough to just take that mask of religion off and raise your hand and say, I'm lost. I'm lost this morning. I need God. I I need. I don't have what you preached about this morning. And I really truly need to be saved. Is there someone like that this morning? I would not hesitate if I was you. If the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart, He may never deal with you again. You should respond to this invitation. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? If you say no to Him this morning, He may never give you another opportunity to be saved. And you should come this morning now. Brother David's going to sing, and while he sings, this is your verse. While he's dealing with your heart, come on this morning.